How can teachers have more agency when determining the direction of their own professional learning? Today on the show, I talk with Moses Velasco, co-author of a book that addresses these questions. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. Leading from the middle is a phrase that we teachers hear often, but knowing how we might enact this in our own school context can be less than obvious. What does it mean to support the growth of your colleagues without a formal leadership title? How can teachers apply what we know about how people learn best to our own adult learning in schools? And how can we inspire other teachers to improve student learning together? If these are questions you find yourself pondering, then you are going to love listening to this conversation I had with Moses Velasco. Moses co-authored The Transformative Power of Collaborative Inquiry, Realizing Change in Schools and Classrooms with Jenny Donahue. And folks, this book is straightforward. It is clear and so intuitive. You're going to wonder why everyone hasn't adopted this elegant model for teacher learning. I'll let Moses do most of the talking today on why you should read this book and how it can transform learning for your students. Here we go. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, just want to start by saying that I met you, I want to guess like 16 years ago, maybe a long time ago. I was your tour guide. I was working for Keating Tours and I got to take you on a tour. Um, and then fast forward, now I'm a teacher and I was given your book by one of my uh, superiors at my school. My principal gave it to me and said, we're gonna be embarking on this kind of work next year. We want you to read this book. And I saw your name on the cover and I thought, to, like, I know this guy. <laughs> so it's so good to get to talk to you again and yeah. about really cool things that you do. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you start just by telling everyone who you are, uh, yeah. what you do, and uh, how are you in education these days? Okay, so uh, my name is Moses Velasco. Uh, I, I like to characterize myself as an Ontario educator. And um, when I use the word educator, I, I, I like to think about it in the broadest uh, sense of the word. Um, as, yeah. And so I'll tell you a little bit about where um, I was prior to us meeting and then where I have been since. But prior to, to you and I uh, meeting, uh, Celeste, I, was, I had taught uh, kindergarten, and I was a teacher librarian for about three years, for the first three years of my career. And then I moved to a second school, which is where you and I met. And um, I, at that school, I taught everything from grades four to eight with a year of special education in there. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, I had been asked to help chaperone a grade eight trip to Quebec. And so that's how you and I met. Uh, after that second school, though, um, I decided that I, I needed another change. So I moved to a third school and I was offered the kindergarten position, a kindergarten position. And I remember the vice principal asking me, Moses, are you, are you sure that's what you want to do? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And, and she said, you know, I was kind of joking. Um, the, the deal was, was that if I gone to, if I went to the school, they were a K to six and I really wanted to teach intermediate grades. I had just gotten my additional basic qualification in intermediate math. And I, I really wanted to like anchor, in a, anchor a, an intermediate classroom. Uh, but since the school was a K to six, they didn't have those classes, but um, they, they had one more year before they would keep those grade sixes to become grade sevens. So the deal was, if you come to our school and teach something in K to six, uh, once you're on staff, when we add the grade sevens, then we can slide you in. 
Nice. So, um, so I went under that, but we just needed something in the interim. And uh, the vice principal offered me the kindergarten. And what she said was, is, you know, most really, whatever grade you want, I'll give you, but oh. you really want to do kindergarten? And I said, absolutely. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of my career, and every teacher, I think, can identify with this. At the beginning of your career, you are in survival mode, right? Oh my and God, totally. You feel like, uh, like, no, without a doubt, you are working the hardest you, you can ever work. Um, but you don't, there is something to be said about not knowing what September feels like versus November versus March. Like, you don't know what the rhythm of the school year is like. And you're learning all of that stuff. And sometimes, well, not, not sometimes, for me, certainly, almost, I, I think almost 100% of everything I had experienced in my training in, in Teachers College did not apply. I, I wasn't able to apply anything. <laughs> no, right? so true. I, and so, so I, I, I constantly felt like yeah, survival mode. And so here I am uh, nine years later, and I have the opportunity to go back and actually be the kind of kindergarten teacher that I really wanted to be mm. and um and i wanted to be able to say that at the end of my career not just that i taught kindergarten like i want to be able to say that i was a good kindergarten teacher mm -hmm. so so that's what i did and um out of that experience i found myself becoming more involved with um, professional learning and professional development uh i at, at that point started pursuing a specialist in primary junior mathematics just as a side note, the reason why I pursued all of that is because I actually thought I was a terrible math teacher. <laughs> I, 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 this is it to us. What, what I didn't understand was, is, you know, I, I was teaching mathematics in the way that I remember being taught. That's how most people end up teaching, actually. Yeah, right. And, and I found that highly problematic because I'm like, this is a different time. And mm -hmm. you need to tell me that the best I can do is replicate like the feelings about the, the feelings I had about math very mixed. Um, sometimes I actually get a little anxious around it, even though I actually, if you looked at my grades, I did okay, but I still felt the, the level of confidence and fluency I had, uh, let's say with English, was completely not there with math. And so um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to become a better math teacher. So mm -hmm. I pursued these additional qualifications. Um, anyways, uh, it, 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 yeah, so, uh, that was part of the, my interest in professional learning and professional development. Additionally, I, this is probably also really important. Um, I had been doing since I think it was my second or third year teaching. I had been leading this uh, uh, training session, uh, or yeah, called uh, Tribes. It's this program. Oh, I love Tribes. Yes. Okay. So I was a Tribes trainer in my school district for um, yeah for all, almost all the time that I was teaching, and then I, even after. I was no longer in the classroom. I was still doing it for faculty students. Mm -hmm. So um, I was learning, while I was learning about student learning in the classroom, I was also learning about adults and mm -hmm. the way teachers think and they learn uh, in terms of uh, professional learning. So all of this kind of came together uh, when there was an opportunity to move into a role outside the classroom. And so I did. I was uh, part of a, a kind of a research project the Ministry of Education had going on where I was assigned five schools in my school district, and I was to observe students who typically perform at level two, and what is it that might, they might need to bump up to level three. So, mm. um, yeah, I had a couple of reports to write. There wasn't really anything earth-shattering there, um, but what, what I found fascinating was uh, this idea of um, having another adult in the classroom with the teacher, right? And that teacher, that host teacher, not choosing that person. Mm. Just, they show up. 
mm-hmm. um, and, and not having a clear role, right? Like it, it, even though I was clear in my role, it was never clear for my host, host colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what was interesting is that there were three types of teachers that I, I typically worked with. I didn't really document this in a really, uh, in a really robust kind of way, but generally speaking, with all the teachers that I worked with, they kind of fit into one of uh, three categories. There was teacher A, and teacher A, she was very warm, very friendly, and she'd say, welcome, I understand you have to observe uh, what, three kids, that, and I said, yep, and she'd give me the names, and she goes, okay, you can put your stuff over here when you're in the room, um, otherwise, just observe away, and so she'd teach, and the only conversations really we had were about what I had coming up that this coming weekend, or what I had just done, depending on where we were in the week, right? Right. That's all we really talked about. But about teaching, you personally, like, hey, what'd you do last weekend? That's right. Okay. That's right. That's right. But but very in the kind of way that um, you might have a, a passing, but there might be someone on staff that you just mm-hmm. have very casual conversations with. That's what it was like. Sounds what pleasant, but superficial. Right. Exactly. And then the second kind of teacher, um, she was uh, equally as warm, equally as welcoming. And uh, she, I guess, since I was there for six weeks, what ended up happening was is she'd give me the names of those students and I would try things with the students, but Celeste, she would watch me like a hawk. Mm. She would, it, almost to the detriment of the other students. Like I can mm. remember on a few occasions where I was working with a, a student and the teacher was, had a lineup of kids that I needed to see or whatever, and she was not really paying attention to them because she was listening to what I was doing with that kid. And um, anyways, it was four weeks of me being in her, and, and oh, she was, actually, she was even more um, uh, socially open than mm-hmm. teacher A. Uh, she would invite me to have, sit with her, she and her friends at lunch, and we might do things after school, but not school related. Um, after four weeks of me being in her class every day, and with four weeks of her watching me, it was around the end of the fourth week that she actually started talking shop a little bit. And it would mm. kind of sound like this. It would be, hey, Moses, I know I noticed with Celeste, you keep asking these questions. Every time she is stuck, you ask her these questions. Um, do you, I, I know you're not supposed to be like uh, working with Brendan, but uh, do you think that would work with Brendan? Like if I use those mm. questions? Uh, sure, why don't you try it? So then for the last two weeks, we kind of got into like shop right? Mm-hmm. Workshop. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Shop talk. And um, anyways, so that was teacher B. And then there was teacher C, the last type of profile teacher. Um, I walked into the room with this, with this particular, te- with these types of teachers, I walk into the room and there is such clarity on uh, their desire to become better and mm. belief that me as an outsider, I knew how to, how to help them get better and that I needed to make them better. So this one anecdote, I walked into a classroom, never met this teacher. She just found out about me. I guess it was the day before. The principal said, she said, you know, said to the principal, I want to get my, my writing programs terrible. I want to make it better. He's like, uh, okay, hey, hey, there's this guy, Moses. He's coming in and he's supposed to do this. She's like, I'll take him. So I walk into the room and she, go, she hands me a blank pad of paper, a pen, and, and she points to this chair on the outside of the carpeted area. It was a grade five or four or five classroom. And she goes, Moses, I want you to sit there and I want you to write down everything I'm doing wrong. And then <laughs> while I'm teaching this lesson and then you're gonna help me get better, right? So this was like, she had such, and, and this was not, um, yeah, she just was so convinced that she needed to get better, right? And she really 
not knowing anything about me, believe that I could help her with that. And I assume um, that that teacher C is also like very competent too, because they have that desire to keep growing and keep getting better. Like does teacher C have amazing skills as well as that desire? Yeah. Well, uh, what was interesting is that teacher C, what she saw was that she was highly organized, but what she, what in the end, what we talked a lot about was there were some nuances that she wasn't picking up on in terms of what students were telling her about mm -hmm. their learning and where to take it next. Um, and, and so, but that came after we, we dealt with some, because she was already highly organized, what she initially was looking for was some real structures um, in terms of setting up guided reading in her junior grade classroom. So, um, you know, it, 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 was, it was a bit of a challenge because there were these other things that I was supposed to, I don't know, it was implied there were certain messages I was, excuse me, I was supposed to be passing on to teachers I was working with. And so there was a little bit of a conflict. I had colleagues that had these needs that they wanted addressed. And then I had these things that I was supposed to do to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, uh, this is too much anyways. But what was interesting, all those three types of teachers, um, I, I really started wondering more about professional learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we're in this classroom together. We both are professionals looking at student work together. There is an incredible opportunity here, yet their interactions with me, um, th there were things that they needed to really uh, make that meaningful, to even get to the place of wanting to talk shop. For teacher C, um, she had to know me for four weeks, mm -hmm. well, every day, like yeah. in a night in a sociable way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, undoubtedly there was that, that the collegiality there, but there was, we, there was something else that was missing that we couldn't quite get to to mm -hmm. really have those meaningful conversations and I, I don't know what those were I just know we never had them and then teacher C she was just like <laughs> just me, right like I know I need to get better so it, it just made me think about all the perspectives that we bring as as classroom educators into uh, professional learning opportunities yeah and so that then led me sorry that was a, that was a bit of a diverge but, but no that I'm led here me, for it <laughs> <laughs> then what that led me to was a role where I was um, a consultant, that's the old term we use, uh, for my school district, where I was in the professional learning, training, and leadership development unit. Mm. So uh, what the, reason, the big push for me to, to, to uh, apply for uh, and, and join that team um, was I was confused as to why it was that we as educators say that we specialize in learning. We know how learning takes place. We know how to shape that. We know all sorts of stuff about it. Yet, yet we don't seem to apply it to our own professional development. Yeah, right? it's a great question. Why? Why? Right now, this was informed from my work with tribes. Right? Mm -hmm. I saw tribes in itself uh, over the twenty-four hour training that it is. There are some really, really uh, great things about it. Right? But, but what was interesting, and and I mean. There was no question that, you know, those participants and I were able to build relationships with one another. Um, there was a, a real sense of community over those 24 hours of training. But if we were to look at their practices afterwards, um, it was a challenge to see things kind of happen in the classroom, right? But they, they, they would not, they wouldn't, I don't think any of them would say that it was not valuable time spent. But in terms of it having long lasting impact in their classroom and on specifically on their teaching practice, it was, it wasn't, 
wasn't really there. And I knew that because I experienced it myself. As a I was just going to say, I like, can attest to that. I loved the tribes training. I totally believe in it. And I don't do it in my own classroom. I do pieces of it. Like I'll, I'll bring the book out and I'll look at activities, but I completely agree with you. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it, that all just really informed this idea of professional development and professional learning. And, um, and so, so I spent time doing that and I stumbled across um, this idea that, that teachers um, don't have the, the level of agency, I believe, classroom teachers don't have the level of agency that they should have in, in setting the direction of their professional learning. Mm-hmm. So that's where leadership kind of came into play. So my leadership development work kind of fell into two camps. There was leadership development for uh, teachers who want to go up the formal leadership route, becoming vice principals, principals, perhaps even superintendents, etc. And then, but but I I saw the bigger issue being around developing teachers as leaders, that leading leaders, from the middle, like leading in their own classrooms, leading in their own departments, that kind of leadership. Exactly, and not w- without title, right? Because mm-hmm. certainly in in the public system, when we all belong to the same union, we can't we we, we have um, responsibilities with teams that we lead, but we have no authority. So that, 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 um, that actually influences and shapes our leadership. And, and, and the leadership that we have to exercise is actually much more, uh, I'm going to suggest powerful and, mm-hmm. and, and more long lasting and committed. People are, can commit to that kind of leadership uh, much more, uh, and the loyalty is even deeper than, than if you have a, a particular title. Mm-hmm. And so my thinking was, is well, if we could develop teachers as leaders, regardless of title, um, that if they ever choose to go this route of becoming vice principals and principals, they, they, they know that's the leadership they, that they default to. Mm. Right? They know they're not going to ever rely on their title to get things done. They actually know how to bring people together, um, shape common com- like commitments to uh, a particular goal and, and work towards that. Right. So anyhow. Um, so that's where uh, all of the work around this book that, that um, I wrote uh, about collaborative inquiry with, with Jenny Donahue was really um, birthed out of. It was uh, like this idea of teachers taking more leadership, understanding leadership um, in the context of their professional identity, mm-hmm. um, integrating it rather, and then looking at professional learning models and designs like collaborative inquiry. So it was kind of these two worlds coming together um, that, that, yeah, where this book, you know, that you got was birthed out of. And it's a fantastic book. Like I read it oh. cover to cover in a couple of days. And I, I'm actually part of uh, Cohort 21, which is a professional learning group for people in the independent school system mm-hmm. in Ontario. And it's not officially connected to your book. But as I was reading, I'm like, this is why something like Cohort 21 works really well. It's because teachers come together. They all want to do it. They're asking interesting questions. They're given entire days to just investigate something that they're curious about and that they want to get better at. Um, but we don't have enough time for that usually. Like it really is something that has to be valued by the leaders in your school and the other teachers in our schools. 100%, 100%. So that is, yeah. So that's really, uh, and, oh, sorry. And then I'm sorry, my story isn't even coming close to No, I love it. We're, nothing is linear here. This is perfect. Okay. Keep going. Because <laughs> I don't even, like right now, that's tw- that only takes us to 2016. So, um, 
<laughs> out of that. So, yeah, like, you know, this is the question, like, what do you do? This is perfect. This will be the whole <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, and what ended up happening was that out of, out of those experiences, um, I began to really think more about um, systems and districts because I was in a role where um, I was seeing a lot of initiatives come and go, right? And I was seeing teachers, things being done to teachers and really not engaging them, uh, classroom teachers rather. And so and, uh, an opportunity came up to uh, join the Ministry of Education in Ontario, where I uh, joined at with, as a uh, secondi, which means that I was basically borrowed uh, from my school district uh, to, the, to the ministry. And I was on something called the capacity building team. So um, you may or may not have seen uh, these documents that the ministry uh, had, had, has put out in, in past years. They, we call them monographs, and sometimes they're called capacity building. They're part of, like, there's a series called the capacity building series. Um, and then there was, I think, another series on what works, and it was researchers, educational researchers in Ontario, kind of sharing their research and what they believe to be implications, what the implications are for practice. Um, capacity building series, that series of monographs was really designed around um, the direction uh, that the province was trying to, is trying to go um, in, in all sorts of different areas. So the team that I joined historically worked on those types of literature, uh, but then they also supported professional learning uh, across the province uh, with regards to um, school, uh, really not but partnering with school districts and kind of uh, thing about uh, shaping professional learning uh, that, uh, yeah, both in topics and in processes that, that, that boards are interested in. So I was on that team for a little bit then, uh, for just for a year, and then the following year there was a reorganization. I moved to, my team just kind of got renamed. We moved to another area and we got renamed as the Innovation Design and Implementation Team. And, uh, and so what we, one of the things that uh, we were looking at was what, how can uh, innovation be conceptualized in education? Uh, who are innovators? Who has the responsibility of being innovators? Um, and can we separate that innovation from technology, like <laughs> conceptually, where are they synonymous, that kind of stuff. But the, the vehicle that we really explored that um, was around design thinking. And so I, I noticed that I was looking at different topics and I think there was some that you interviewed around that. Mm -hmm. But we were looking at design thinking as a way of solving, you know, some of our most persistent problems in education. And we were hypothesizing that we might be able to apply this uh, process, in specifically the user centricity or, or yeah, disposition of, of design thinking <coughs> to really get at, um, yeah, these, these issues that keep coming up in, in education uh, year after year, generation after generation, why can't we get at these things? And we hypothesize maybe design thinking could, um, yeah, <coughs> address that. Anyways, um, there was, uh, their priorities of the ministry have changed. And um, so now I'm semi-officially, it's not, yeah, it's probably fair to say this now. Um, I'm now part of something called the Toronto Field Team. And I'm a student achievement officer again, and my primary 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 responsibilities will be to uh, work directly with schools and districts, um, possibly looking at their improvement plans, um, seeing where they might uh, <coughs> excuse me require uh, some additional support. Um, at the same time, there's been other priorities that I've been involved with. The fundamentals of mathematics provincially has become priority so 
Um, I've been working on some projects related to that. Uh, I, I've been doing a lot of filming actually. So there are training modules that, that we have done um, that are done virtually. It's supposed to be um, asynchronous, um, do it at your own pace, short videos that we've done. So I've, um, yeah, I've worked on those. So some people have noticed, have recognized me from those. <laughs> they see you on the street. You're like, you're on the video. Yeah. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Celeste, I don't know where I was. And someone kept looking at me. I, I swear, <laughs> I never person, right? I think I was in some coffee shop in Toronto and, and they came up to me like, excuse me, are you a teacher? And I said, yeah, I actually, I actually was. And, and, and I said, did we work together? Were you in a, and they're like, no, I, I think I've seen you on a video talking about that. Like, it's, it's entirely possible. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I am now. So I'm a student achievement officer who is uh, charged with working with a, a few different district school, different school districts rather. Uh, in the Toronto area. I'm obsessed with your career though. Like I am so <laughs> in awe of the various titles that you've had and the hats that you've had. Like it sounds like you have had such an enriching and fulfilling career in education. Like you really mm -hmm. have been able to do such a wide variety of things and ask some really cool questions and probably work with some really cool people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent true. I, um, I don't, it, you know, when, when I, when I listen to people uh, talk about career development, you know, they'll often say things like, you know, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years and make plans for that? None of what I just shared with you was planned. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and what I think, I think what, what has always been worked in my favor is, um, I've just always tried to work the hardest. I, 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 first of all, any position that I pursued, um, I pursued because it, I, I was clear for myself on what I think the learning was going to be. Mm -hmm. right? What, what there were, there were questions that I had that I, I knew I could only answer uh, if I pursued this job. Mm. And, and uh, fortunately, I think I was able to. Ha I, I had good work behind me to support, you know, my, my bid to, to do that. Um, I did I move actually about a year ago. Um, I became permanent to the Ministry of Education. Mm, congrats! So, thank you. So, so, so that's um, yeah. So I'm a permanent uh, student achievement officer with them. And, and then I, just hearing you retell your story, you're not saying this directly, but I hear this undercurrent of you clearly have a growth mindset. Like you clearly are the kind of person that your teacher see you like really care about getting better you really care about asking big questions about your practice and you know slowly iterating in that design thinking format of like just continual improvement it's really mm -hmm. inspiring to hear you talk about that oh thanks so yeah. let's talk a little bit about your book that you wrote with jenny donahue um yeah. collaborative inquiry talks a little bit like you you mentioned it a little bit but for people who haven't read the book um mm -hmm. i'll put a link to it in the show notes um can you really briefly talk about the cycles of collaborative inquiry or like what is that in a nutshell for teachers who haven't heard of it before? Okay, so first I think I need to establish that collaborative inquiry is what we call a professional learning design. So it's a way for a group of teachers to set direction on how they can enhance and refine their teaching practices. So the way they do this is they identify as a group, what are common student learning needs that they all are all noticing in their respective classrooms. Um, once they've uh, identified those student learning needs, then they develop an action plan to see if they can better address those needs. 
Um, then they work together, they try out whatever the plan is, and they work together uh, and collectively analyze to see if the actions they've taken are having the impact they want it to have. Um, if, if it is uh, having the impact, they decide, okay, well, so what do we do now? Um, and if it isn't, they ask the same question, so what do we do now? Mm -hmm. um, but, but what's powerful about this professional learning design is that it is cyclical. So it goes through this cycle I just described over and over and over again. Um, and teachers out of the process become better at identifying specific student learning needs uh, and coming up with the, I guess, a better understanding of why those are existing student learning needs and developing uh, meaningful plans to try and, and, and address those needs. So, um, yeah, that, so it, it is first and foremost a design of process. It, mm -hmm. It's, yeah. It so, sounds really obvious. Like, it's so funny. Like, reading the book, I'm like, why haven't I read more books about this before? Like, it actually is what we hope from our students. Like, identify an issue, identify a problem, come up with some strategies for going through it, see if that makes an impact, and then reassess and redesign. Like, it is so elegant. It's when you read this book, I really felt like this is really what professional learning for teachers should look like always. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, you've worked with many teachers and I know that you've actually come to our school and you've talked to teachers in all different contexts. Um, I can imagine like just reading any book and like, this seems really straightforward, but what are some of the barriers that different groups of teachers have experienced when either trying to start this in their schools, trying to change the mindset around professional learning, or just making sure that they're doing it in a way that serves the students and the learning? Like in a nutshell, what are some of the barriers? Well, I think I, I certainly, now this is all stemming from my experiences of, of seeing collaborative inquiry kind of being introduced into a large school district and um, have people having varied experiences with it. And so when we think about any kind of, when we think about the introduction of any kind of reform in education, um, there is, we have to carefully consider how it's being supported, how it's being implemented, if you will. Um, in the book, Jenny and I uh, choose to to use the word adopted. So how do we adopt uh, collaborative inquiry uh, as, a, as a professional learning design? How do we integrate it into the way we do things? So um, uh, I, think, I think there's, there's a couple of things, it's a couple of barriers that we have to identify and where those barriers actually sit. So in terms of teacher teams, um, for teacher teams, one of the biggest challenges that we've had, I think, is um, having skillful facilitation. Uh, I think that what, because it is so, it's actually kind of the, the crux of what you were just talking about. Um, we, collaborative inquiry, I think the reason, one of the biggest barriers is that um, we struggle, uh, we struggle with the fact that we learn through the process of collaborative inquiry. That, 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 that uh, is true in the research, right? Like it's a really powerful way for teachers to learn and to your point, uh, it makes sense. It's, it's elegance and simplicity. But what's interesting is that while it is simple to understand, it's difficult to actually get experience. So that means that we also, not only are we learning through the process, but we have to learn about the process itself. Mm. And I think what has happened is, is we don't, we don't uh, spend enough time thinking about what are we learning about how to do the process. So we end up just blindly doing whatever, like Jane, in her first book, um, I should backtrack. In 2013, she published Collaborative Inquiry, a, a guidebook to the process. And 
2016's book, the one I wrote with her, was kind of a companion to that. Uh, it thinks about more about the implementation of it, the adoption of collaborative inquiry. And so um, we wanted to highlight, well, what, what are things we, uh, we have noticed about learning about the process that we didn't, hasn't been highlighted before. Um, so yeah, so for teacher teams, I think one of the biggest barriers when we think about the process itself is, is facilitation, right? So when, when a, a team is going through the process, there's three things that we think need to really be in place. Um, that uh, the facilitator uh, must be able to help the team uh, establish and then maintain a needs-based focus so that the focus isn't so broad that you become overwhelmed with all of these actions um, that because you're trying to address too big of a, a need, right? So you want to kind of get, you want to get specific there with what's the actual need and then being able to unpack all the reasons why we think that need exists. But then the facilitator, um, the still facilitator needs to be able to I think the phrase we use is provoke thinking hmm. um, uh, and, and provoke critical thought about what we're trying. Is it having the impact that we want it to have? And if it isn't, then what are we going to do next? And getting clear on um, why, getting clarity rather on why we are getting the results we hope for or we aren't getting the results we hope for. Because that's actually where professional learning is most powerful in that, in that space. Uh, and then finally, um, a skillful facilitator reculturalizes the way that we learn in, in schools, right? So mm -hmm. collaborative inquiry, I think, uh, is a professional learning design that, quite frankly, we're unaccustomed to. And so uh, we, need to, we need a facilitator that helps us see that this is a new way of us just doing things, of just learning together. And um, so I think th that's probably some of the biggest barriers that I, it, I, I think the biggest barriers for teacher teams is really around facilitation. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they don't experience uh, it in a meaningful way. And I think it's very easy then to just say, well, forget it. Um, yeah. And I assume as facilitators are learning it and going through it for the first year, there's probably a really steep learning curve. And in a way you have to go through it and make those mistakes with people in order to do it well in the future. Like it's like your first year of teaching, like you're saying, like you're just gonna be like working twice as hard, making all the mistakes and hopefully doing your learners justice, but then getting better at it with each year you come back. Absolutely. And, and that we do what we do that together, right? So yeah. if, the, if the, the skilled facilitator is able to identify that for the team she's working with, that this is what I'm going to be learning with, but I can't possibly do this on my own. Mm -hmm. I can't learn about this process without your thoughts on this, right? Like it, it, my, my, my ability to get better at this is going to be dependent on what you, how you help me understand how we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so it, it, it is truly, truly collaborative, right? And um, yeah, I, yeah. What do you think helps teachers who aren't in the facilitator role, who are uh, just on a team of teachers participate in this? Because I, I feel, I can't remember, but I feel like it was said in your book that, you know, people really have to be volunteering to come into this. Like you can't be forced yeah. into these kinds of learning situations. Um, mm -hmm. And that makes total sense. But what are some ways that have worked in other schools to encourage teachers to try this new thing on, to engage in these probably riskier and scarier and more involved forms of learning? Like what helps mm -hmm. other teachers buy in? So I've always, I always loved the idea of invitation. So I'm gonna actually try this with you right now. So there's a, there's a few questions that 
I have um, begun collaborative inquiry cycles with teams with to kind of just see does, how does this make sense with them to basically build um, a case as to why collaborative inquiry might be something you is worthwhile committing to. Okay, so the first question is this. Um, uh, what are some powerful professional learning experiences you have had? And I'm asking you specifically. Yeah, uh, the most powerful that I've had to date are the Cohort 21, uh, the Klingenstein Summer Institute. Um, and then there was a Making Learning Visible course that I did uh, with several teachers. And I believe it was run through Harvard, but I'd have to look that up. Um, so those are the top three. Okay. Uh, how do you know that they were powerful? Uh, I had actual, I saw transformation in my own practice with all three of them. They were, they were all very social. They were all very collaborative in nature. Um, like for example, with cohort 21, it was very much based on other people giving me feedback on the blogs that I was writing. It was on the design thinking routines that we would do together and you would have conversations with your colleagues and I would see things or I'd hear things that I would never have been able to come up on my own with. Um, and that was true with Klingenstein as well. There was just such an array of teachers there that by going through those learning experiences collectively, we were, we were different. And I saw a tangible difference in my practice when I got home. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So I have a, my next question is what, what do you need when you really want to learn something? I need time. I need, I need uninterrupted time where I'm not required to do anything else. I need a supportive team of people that are equally curious and excited. Um, and like, I want to say I need resources, but I feel like if there's other people in the room, those are the resources too. So the, the number one thing for me is time. Mm -hmm. And then finally, how do you know that you've learned what you wanted to learn? How do I know that I've learned what I've wanted to learn? I think that I'm continually coming back to the questions that I had initially. Um, and sometimes I'm learning things that I didn't know that I needed to learn. And that sometimes like those are the most powerful insights for me when I think that I'm going in to learn about X, but actually I come out and I've discovered a really more powerful Y than I came mm -hmm. in with. But usually it's when I'm continually going back to the purpose and the question that I had started seeking. And then I've been able to have something at the end of that learning journey that shows me an answer to that question. So what's interesting here, I think, is that you've described what makes collaborative inquiry so powerful. Yeah, right? and that's why I love it so much. <laughs> so these, are, these are what I what I've wanted to capture for people, uh, for those that, for, for every, for good reasons, I think teachers have experienced different kinds of professional learning designs and have had uh, mixed experiences with them, some very good and some very, very bad. And, and, and uh, I think we become disenfranchised with any kind of, in particular, school-based professional learning. And that's where collaborative inquiry is specifically situated in. So these four questions are questions that, and I've done variations of them, to try and get people into the mindset of, well, when you really want to learn something, when you've had really powerful experiences, what, are, what, what has always needed to be there? And, um, and what I've suggested to people is in, in, in inviting them into a collaborative inquiry cycle, I've said, this is what, the, what you've just established are our goals. We want to make sure that we have 
good time, we give ourselves the time to really think about what we're doing and why we're doing it, that we revisit the, what, what's actually changing for ourselves. Um, it, 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 uh, that it's all centered on uh, what you know to be important and mm -hmm. you know it's going to make the difference. That's, that's our commitment in a collaborative inquiry cycle. So as we move forward through this, if we're not hitting those, then we're not really doing real professional learning. And we're not, and which is what collaborative inquiry is supposed to embody. So, so for someone who wanted to get some, uh, their colleagues on board, if you will, I don't know, I hate using this kind of terminology, but if you wanted to share with, with a team of, of your colleagues uh, a, a new way, perhaps, of doing professional learning in your school, maybe those questions might be helpful in helping them understand from their own experiences why it might make sense to commit to something like collaborative inquiry. Mm -hmm. I think that many teachers want to learn. I think that, you know, even going back to that model of those three teachers, teacher A, I think, also wants to transform her practice. I think that sometimes people are just scared and don't know how to get there or they need to trust. Like, I, I love those examples that you gave because person B actually just needs to feel like they can trust the other people in the room. And maybe person A just needed double the time before she started inviting you out and hanging out with you. But that, I think most teachers want that. I think that most teachers are really excited about learning, which is why we all got into the profession, I think. I think, and I also think what really jazzes teachers up is when, like, I, 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 I like to try and think of things not to oversimplify or, or over, over reduce things, but, but I think many teachers, um, based on my experiences, what they live for is that moment uh, to, to, uh, when they have helped a kid move herself from a place of ignorance to understanding. Like you kind of, that we, sometimes people refer to as the light bulb moment, the aha moment, but we live for that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think if we can situate um, our, uh, the focus of our collaborative inquiries in, into that space, right? Like I, I can't seem to move student learning. There's a block. I can't get them to help them. I can't, I don't know how to create the situation in which they can move themselves, right? To get that aha moment, that, that light bulb moment. And that's where my frustration, that's where, that's where their actual student learning need is. So we want to, that's where we want to focus. And, um, but, but, but I think if we, if we help teachers kind of see that, then I think it's easier to, to say, okay, I'm willing to try this. And all the while saying, now listen, you've got to learn about this process too. So I'm, I'm like, I'm following what, what, how it's outlined, but I, I don't actually know how it's supposed to go. Mm. I, 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 and I don't want to reduce this to simply a black line master that we fill in, right? So it can't, professional learning can't be that way. So as we do this together, I, we, we also need to commit to learn how to do this well together. Um, and that it, 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 I, I'm prepared to learn how to ask the right questions at the right time when we meet as a facilitator. I'm, I'm prepared to learn that. Um, but I'm all, I also need commitment from you to be mm -hmm. invested in this. Um, yeah, but... I'm I'm just so excited that this exists and I'm so excited to get to experiment with this with my own context in my own school. Um, how can people find you and learn more about this? Like I'll link to the book in the show notes, but somebody listening to this right now, they want to just like connect with you or find you. How do people do that? Uh, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, Tagapaturu, which is Filipino for uh, uh, educator. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to your Twitter so that people can find you. Uh, are you ready to do the ticket out the door? We're going to pack up our bags, 
get our homework, figure it all out, but then ticket out the door is how we close up everything. Yep. You're all ready. I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. What is your favorite book to read to students? Oh my goodness. There is this picture book. Now remember, I told you I was a kindergarten teacher, right? Yes, that's why there I asked. Is, there is this book. I think Tony Ross is the author. It's called, it's a picture book called Tadpole's Promise. Okay. And it's a story about a tadpole and a caterpillar that fall in love. Oh. And they promise one another, remember they're a caterpillar and a tadpole. Yes. They promise one another that they will never change. Oh. Unfortunately, the tadpole starts changing. And the caterpillar, she is upset. She can't believe that he, he keeps promising that he won't change, but he keeps changing. Every time she sees him, he's got legs. Every time she sees him, he's missing a tail. Every time, and finally, she just, she basically breaks up with him. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's the way it reads, it sets it up uh, where you, you think it's going to end a particular way, and it does not. It does not. And uh, I, love, I love watching kids' reactions to it because... <laughs> As an adult, those of us who are familiar with these patterns in literature about how stories are supposed to end, I, well, I read it to my, my mother. She was angry. She said, mm -hmm. why would you read me that book? Whereas when I read it to my nephews, who were in kindergarten at the time, they thought, they just looked at me like, yeah, that's about right. Wow. But here's the spoiler. He eats her. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> she eventually sees yeah. a butterfly. And comes back down to see him, and he's now a frog. And she approaches him, and she says, "Excuse me, have you seen my?" She called him like a, a black pearl. Uh -huh. Have you seen my? And then you turn the page, and he jumps up and eats her. Oh my God, that's very interesting and slightly disturbing. I want to yeah. read the book right now. I love it. <laughs> okay, so on that uh, next yeah. question, what's the best gift you ever received as a teacher? Oh, as a teacher. I don't mean to be sentimental, but I'm, one of the greatest gifts um, that I received as a teacher was um, there's a student, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites, right? And uh, I had this one student, he, it was, he was, it was grade five and uh, very, uh, very friendly. And um, I had a lot of friends, did well in school, like well academically, I had no concerns. And, he got my humor, which is probably <laughs> something that I really appreciated. And um, just before March break, his mom and uh, sister came in for a parent-teacher interview. And um, mom didn't look particularly well. Uh, she didn't speak English, so that's why her older daughter was there. And so, you know, um, I, I was explaining how well this, this boy was doing. And um, mom just kind of nodded after the sister translated. And then she started asking, she asked a question. And the, um, the daughter uh, answered um, and, or asked me, uh, is, is, he, is he upset? Does he cry a lot? I didn't, I didn't, not, didn't understand the question because it was the complete opposite. What I just described was the complete opposite. What I came to learn was that um, mom uh, was diagnosed with the stage four cancer and oh, wow. it was terminal and it was, it was likely that um, she would pass sooner than later. And uh, uh, she had said, uh, so it was after March break, and she had said that every day he had gone into, um, uh, he would go to church and he'd light a candle, and he, he was constantly asking her, what's going to happen to you when you die, mom, what's going to happen? So they saw this very upset 
boy, and I saw the opposite. And, you know, it's, it, um, I don't know, I think, so the gift was not something that, that it, it was, the gift was actually kind of the insight into um, the wholeness of our students. Hmm. And, and when they come into our classrooms, um, do we really know who they are? Do we know what they struggle with? Do we know? It, it was just a, it was just this brilliant reminder of that. And um, yeah, that our students are so much more than what they show us. And, yeah. and um, if, unless we take the time to really learn these things and care about them, uh, and they know that. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, we, 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 we love, we love as we want to be loved. And um, that's a very isolating thing. If you don't learn how to love, love others as they want to be loved and appreciated. Um, yeah. It, anyway, so w with our, with our students, that, that was one of the things that I realized is just the, the uh, uh, our students are so much more than what they show us. And, mm -hmm. and um, I know certainly for me, I mean, I shared earlier that I was a wallflower in elementary school and I was so much more than that quiet kid that never answered questions. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was a, 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 a terribly uh, difficult moment to kind of go through all that and see, but to get some insight into this little boy's life and what, you know, maybe what he was dealing with. So anyways. That uh, is sorry, a beautiful what? answer to that question. I've asked that question so many times and that is my favorite answer. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Well, I, um, I could have gone with the socks that I got my last year. No, so that's better than socks. <laughs> If you weren't in education, what would you be doing professionally? Oh my gosh. If I wasn't in education, what would I do professionally? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, the, the I don't know. I, I don't know. So <laughs> like I literally, there's nothing. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I mean, I think about what I'd be doing in retirement, you know, uh, but no, it's still. No, no, no. But like, what would you do to make a living? That's the like tricky thing yeah i mean i honestly one of the biggest reasons one of the biggest things that i uh mo that one of the biggest things that motivated me rather to become a teacher was the thought of being able to read books to kids i love mm -hmm. it so mm -hmm. if i could somehow just get i don't know paid to do that i think i'd really enjoy that <laughs> i'd pay you to do that that'd be a really <laughs> cool thing that i'd sign up for <laughs> who is your favorite edu celebrity oh Goodness, edu celebrity. Oh goodness. Um, I really one of one of the the biggest uh, influences on on my thinking at that critical time was was Stephen Katz. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I I I don't know if it's because of his my undergrad in psychology, and at one point. Before, um, yeah, in my undergrad, I thought I was going to uh, maybe become a clinical psychologist. That was something that I was thinking about doing, like doing, you know, therapy and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, yeah, and, and becoming a teacher. But because I have that, that background in psychology, um, when I met Stephen Katz, he, he made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And the way he talked about how the brain learns, how the brain understands and retains and recalls. Um, and then he took all of that and then helped me understand how, what it might mean for professional learning. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites for sure. That's good. Okay. Final question. Okay. And this is a hard one. So okay. 
take it up whatever angle you want. Okay. What is the future of learning? Hmm. I think the future of learning is um, at the heart of it all is going to look just like it does now. It's going to be motivated by our human curiosities. It's going to be connected to the, the things that um, really we think uh, are going to make a difference we're, that we're, we're going to commit to learning. Like it, it's going to be, it's going to be about solving real things. Um, education. I don't, as you asked me about the future of education, there's a lot of scary ideas out there about what it could look like, but learning in of itself, I don't, I don't think that's going, I think learning will always be um, what will shape our society. Um, as long as we, um, committed to staying open and curious um yeah i but, but learning yeah I, I don't i think i don't know i think the things that that, that i get uh, excited about and want to learn about what motivates me to learn are not going to change for future generations and, i love uh, that yeah i don't know if that's what you were <laughs> perfect Okay. No, that's perfect. I am so glad that I got to take you on a tour to Quebec City a trillion years ago. And you are yeah. just as cool, just as kind, just as genuine as I remember you to be when I was just, I think I was like 20 when I met you. Like you're just so, you're so great, Moses. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you. Oh. So like, I remember somebody saying this at one point to me, and now I totally get it as a parent. You're the kind of adult that I wish my son could have as a teacher like I just imagined you as a kindergarten teacher and I'm like oh if only my child could have a kindergarten teacher like Moses that would be that would be just the best ever so thank you so much for thank you for existing thank you for contributing to our educational world um and I'm so excited to keep talking to you thank you thank you Celeste I really appreciate you um seeking me out yeah um, I'm glad that we were able to reconnect it's it's uh you know, like I said, in, in my memory, I, you are uh, a very, prof you were always a, a professional, even then. I don't know. I, I, and, and having the chance to look at your work through the podcast, uh, through Cohort 21, I, I am, uh, I'm absolutely floored by your, who you're choosing to connect with. Thank you. I think, um, I think you're asking the right questions and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased that our, our paths have crossed uh, again, and I hope they'll continue to cross. Thank you. I so hope so. Let's make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think you will agree that Moses is an educator who demonstrates a growth mindset through and through. His passion and curiosity are hard to ignore, and his commitment to student and teacher learning is beyond inspiring. I'll put in the show notes links to his book, as well as a few other resources mentioned in the conversation, including that slightly disturbing children's book that he was referencing. If you are on the socials, go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow or on Twitter at teach underscore tomorrow. I'd love to connect with you on these platforms and chat with you about what you thought of this conversation today. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Go and lead from wherever your middle happens to be. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.